Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. I'm here with Dr. Jim Polo, and every week we try to take a look at our interior and the things that are causing us psychological distress. Loneliness is the thing that I've been hearing about. So I actually looked up the definition of loneliness as an unpleasant emotional response to perceived isolation. I want to start right there with you, Dr. Polo, because it's incredible to me that it's about perception. Loneliness is all about your perception. It really is. It really is. And the reason why that's so important is there are people that you might see them as being involved or you might see them as being part of the group or you might even see them at all kinds of activities. But in their mind, if they feel isolated and alone, then all of that activity is not meaningful to them in the sense that they could still be feeling very lonely. Well, what, so that, what are the factors, Dr. Polo, that, that lead someone to have that kind of, is that an irregularity in their thinking? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's an irregularity. Remember that we all have our personality in terms of how open we are, how engaging we are, how comfortable we are. You know, there are extroverts and introverts. And obviously there are some people that are extroverts and really like it. And there are some people that are introverts and actually that's okay with them too. So the first thing to recognize, it's, it's really all over the map. But if you're an individual, for example, that for whatever reason for you, social engagement is hard to do. It's just hard, but you really want to have that engagement then you might be at risk for falling into the category of being very lonely because wow. you're, not getting that, you're not getting that sense of connection that's filled. One of the things that's been studied in the last couple of years is how much of an impact social media is having on loneliness. And I'm sure it's tremendous, right? Because everybody perceives that other people's lives are fuller, richer, more fun, better at. Yes. And furthermore, you know, when it comes to social media, there are some folks that are spending lots of time on social media, but they're not actually engaged with anybody. Even though they're there in the mix, so to speak, they're still isolated and alone. I have talked with young people that say they never post, they never interact, they just watch and observe. And I was thinking, now that's got to be like one of those experiences where you begin to feel like, oh, this is, I'm really not a part of something here. I'm just a fly on the wall, able to observe these other people's lives who manage mm -hmm. to be funny or charming or whatever. Right. In terms right. of the type of loneliness that we hear about people having who are actually isolated, who are actually solitary, what kind of offering can you give to them, Jim? Because this is real. I mean, this yeah. is the real kind of loneliness that is very, very concerning to people around health outcomes and uh, potential for drinking and drug abuse and everything else. The first step is recognizing that you're actually lonely. Mm -hmm. it, it's actually recognizing I'm not getting something or I'm somehow feeling different or isolated. If you don't recognize that that's really what's happening at the core, then you can't do a lot about it. But I, I give you an example. You know, you might be one of those uh, individuals, my kids are like this, you know, they can have five different text messages going on with five different people at the same time. So uh -huh. lots of back and forth. Some of those conversations can be highly superficial. And so once again, it's a setting of lots of quote communication, not necessarily connection, not necessarily. So, so loneliness, loneliness really sets in 
when you have a desire to be connected to other people in something that to you is meaningful and you're not getting it. Wow. Okay. I love um, what you said, Dr. Polo, about first of all, recognizing it, because I think what happens with many of my friends who suffer from depression and anxiety is that they begin to have this experience where they're feeling very lonely. And instead of reaching out, they isolate more that there's some sort of mechanism that triggers that. So what can we say to people like that when that's such a natural response to feeling lonely? So like I said, the first step, recognizing that you're lonely. The second step is overcoming that inhibition to connect. Now this, this can sound like it's easy to do, just call somebody up. It's actually not that easy. You know, if you think about it, a lot of us have a very small circle of close friends that we really connect with, that we trust. We let our guard down. We, we tell them what's going on. Social media has made it really difficult for some people. There's all kinds of studies that demonstrate that oftentimes on social media, people feel very intimidated. Oh, I didn't do as well in that as somebody else, or somebody's got this going on, or I don't have that. Or, you know, we tend to think in comparative forms. And that for some folks, that that social interface that's public can be intimidating. And, yeah. and you feel like you don't match up, you don't fit up, and, and, and it becomes harder to engage. When, when I have folks that I'm meeting with, that I'm dealing with, that I'm treating, that a component of what's going on is lonely, uh, loneliness for them, um, I try to, first of all, get a handle on two things. First of all, what's their character state? Is this somebody that needs a lot of relationships? Is this somebody that needs a lot of connection? Because some people need that. Some people don't need it as much. Remember, yeah. loneliness is, is your perception. And then second of all, what's getting in the way? What is actually getting in the way of meeting your own need? Sometimes mm -hmm. it's first identifying what the need is, and then it becomes a matter of, do you have the right skills then to put it into place. And I kind of feel that social media is in some ways taking away um, that, that experience um, in kids and adolescents where you learn to socialize. Mm. You know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to talk with a friend, you had to actually go out and meet them. Okay. Uh, I remember when I wasn't even allowed to use the phone because, you know, that was an adult thing or whatever. Um, these days you can connect very quickly, seamlessly, on the internet, you can text back and forth in partial sentences with all kinds of abbreviations. And the reality is some kids aren't actually learning how to communicate with other folks. Mm. And, and so that's part of what's going on because what I sometimes find that I need to do is actually help folks recognize, well, how do you start a conversation? How do you maintain a conversation? How do you get that conversation moving in a direction that to you is meaningful, keeping in mind that a conversation is always between two folks? Okay. Yeah, so right. you've got to be part of it and they have to be part of it. Cognitive behavioral therapy can be quite helpful to folks that are feeling lonely because it helps them begin to reframe in their mind how they see situations. One, one of the problems with loneliness is that if you struggle with loneliness for a long period of time, you actually start to feel empty, mm. unwanted. Unneeded. Yeah. You may feel like you don't even really exist to other people. Mm. And this makes it even harder to engage. This is a very difficult cycle to get out of for some folks. You know, I, I'm thinking about how um, 
how the factors of self-esteem and early childhood love and security must play into this. Because if you've never had that feeling of safety and security and true connectedness with another human being, I can imagine it's very, very difficult to be able to achieve that as an adult, correct? Yes, yes. There's, there's no question that your early years, in terms of how you connect to other people, uh, play a role in the rest of your life. Presumably young kids, you know, are raised in an environment where they're taken care of, they're shown respect, they're loved, you know, they get teaching, but they're also pushed a little bit to challenge themselves, to experience the real world, to be able to go out there, try things out, fail, come back, go out again as we slowly uh, then grow physically. Mm. And, you know, a lot of kids don't get that kind of environment sometimes. And so early childhood can impact on how they see relationships and how well they form relationships. So Dr. Polo, if you were a person who lacked that sort of bonding, is there any way you can recreate it for yourself as an adult? I think you can, although I think it's harder to do things on your own. Um, You know, if you're an individual where you say to yourself, I'm lonely, I have no friends. Uh, it's so hard for me to make friends. Hmm. What should I do? Okay. Yeah. Now the chances that you're going to like pick up a book or read the internet and it'll give you a step-by-step more than likely folks are going to need help from somebody else. And it doesn't always have to be a therapist, by the way, most of us have at least one or two close people that, yeah. that we relate to. Sometimes it's a sibling. It might be a parent or it might be a cousin. And so if you let your guard down just for a little bit with the few people that you know and say, hey, listen, I really want to have more friends. How do you do it? What is it that you do? I get so uh, envious when I see that you've got people that are calling you out of the blue just to check on you. How how does that work for you? Okay. Mm. Because sometimes you need to just kind of get some examples of what other people are doing because what works for other people may work for you but it also may not. Wow. That's fascinating because it's, I, I'm going to um, draw a comparison to when I was in my early twenties, my mother was a horrible cook and never cooked. And um, one of my friends, my, she was a few years older than I did the most generous thing by taking me for two weeks and every night showing me how to make a dish. And in many ways, that kind of, of, step-by-step love and care and showing you how to prep and shop and clean a kitchen afterwards. It was the kind of um, early childhood stuff that I'd missed. And I felt like she plugged a hole for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that people could do the same probably in terms of that early bonding and personal connection that people miss. Yes. yes. And, and so you watch the friends who do have consistent relationship. They don't have explosive relationships with people. They tend to keep friends for life and you try to mirror that behavior. Right. Wow. Exactly. It's really a wonderful idea. And in terms of mindfulness or cognitive behavioral therapy, is there any specific tools that people can use when, when they're thinking about this? Yeah, that's a great question because there are many tools out there that actually are self-directed that you can use on your own. In fact, if we weren't even in a digital world, you could just go to the local Barnes and Noble and get a self-help book on making friends or a self-help yeah. book on communicating easier. You know, I'll give you a personal example. My, my wife and I have been married for approaching 40 years. We go to a lot of events and, and some of those events are, are with people we know together. Some of those events are really with my work people, yeah. uh, but they're still social and some were hers. And so it's a variable degree of who we do or don't know. 
So I tend to be extroverted. I can pretty much talk with just about anybody. My wife tends to be very introverted. She has a really difficult time starting a conversation. And of course, wow. if you have difficulty time starting a conversation, uh, and other people do as well, then no conversation occurs. Somebody has to start. Okay? <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so I remember many, many years ago, my wife after a party said, I don't get it. Why is it that you're at a party and you enjoy the whole thing and you're busy and you're chatting away and I just feel like, I feel like I'm alone. She literally said that. I feel like I'm alone. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, I just walk up to people and start asking a few questions. Mm -hmm. And what I've recognized is people love to talk about themselves. Sure. Hey, yeah. where do you work? And before you know it, they've, they're going on for a while. Yeah. And and you have kids and they love telling me about their kids, you know, and obviously as a psychiatrist, I'm used to asking questions. So I ask it in a very plain, non-threatening <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. It sounds funny, but remember, if you're the only one asking questions and you're not actually giving anything, you can do that all night and still feel lonely. Mm. Because what I have found for myself is that I need to also feel like I'm giving something back. So yeah. let's say that, you know, I ask somebody about their kids and they say something. I say, you know, I have a son too. And he does. Doesn't take the, Yeah. And now it becomes a give and take. Now yeah. it becomes a connection. Uh -huh. Now it's a conversation of substance. And that's when you lose yourself in the conversation and you no longer feel lonely. Yeah. Say that. So I told my wife, hey, you got to ask questions. So we went to a party not, not long after that. And she said, I've asked questions all night long. I, I, I said, well, have you talked about yourself? Did you talk about our kids? Did you mention you were married to me? Well, you mean I'm supposed to share? Oh, yeah. That's asking an introvert to go too far, right? Right. Um, I think that this is, is getting to where I'd really hope to in this conversation because I believe, honestly, like much of the problem around mental illness today is this perceived loneliness. I think it's a loneliness epidemic with our, with our seniors and especially with young people who still feel very isolated, even though they have all of these tools. So I was curious whether or not you felt like beginning a meditation where people could actually look at the pattern of the brain and what their thoughts are telling them about their self is really a beneficial thing, or if that might be too hard for a person who's never kind of explored this work before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, it's important to highlight the the brain is hugely complex, and although uh, we have tons of ongoing research, we're probably scratching the surface. Um, are there particular brain patterns that get activated, so to speak, when you feel better? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's yeah. been demonstrated. Is engaging with others in meaningful conversation one of those things that would help you, quote, feel better? Well, mm. yes. Yeah. And in fact, for some people, more so than others. Okay. Now, at the practical level, let's just say for an example that I could monitor somebody's brain and give them good, hard evidence. Yeah. Look, you're experiencing a lot of loneliness that loneliness is impacting your mood. Mm -hmm. It's impacting the way that you do things. It's impacting how you feel about yourself. Yeah. And, and it, it's important to, to do something. Mm -hmm. All of that will be helpful. But it's still going to take work on that individual's part to say, okay, 
what do I need to do then to take some risk and put myself out there and start overcoming that loneliness? Yeah. If you've never seen it, Dr. Polo, I think you'd love this um, website called The Unlonely Project, where, first of all, they, of course, talk about the fact that being lonely is the new smoking cigarettes for for this decade, right? And then they provide um, this kind of step forward for people if they want to actually begin engaging in a self-care around their feelings of isolation. And then they also do what I think is an incredible thing is that they have lessons for young people to teach them how to talk face-to-face. Yes. Have you found that that's a necessary thing to do for young people is to actually give them like social dynamics again? Yes. I I have. In fact, I have personally in my family found I've needed to do that. I have one son that is a lot more reserved than my other two kids. And he's very self-conscious about how he compares to others and he's very self-conscious about being judged and he's very self-conscious about what others will think. I think those are subtle indicators of potentially some esteem issues, but those are the issues that make it harder for him to engage. He's the child that tends to have fewer friends. He's the child that tends to take fewer risks and he's the child that tends to hold himself back. And I really say hold himself back because he got potential to do whatever he wants. And sometimes he doesn't. And and I really do think it relates to that. Remember that loneliness is not a diagnosis. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of something. Mm. However, when people have loneliness over a long period of time, generally they do start having significant symptoms of depression and it can become a diagnosis. So so loneliness is one of those dangerous symptoms Mm. that left untreated, left unchecked can lead to some really disappointing situations for people. Yeah. I think everybody right now is feeling lonely for the lives that we once had. I don't even know if that makes sense, but it does seem like that there is kind of a a loneliness about missing the prior life that we used to enjoy. And I just wonder if I came in and I was a patient of yours and I said, I'm so lonely and I really want my life back how you'd respond so first of all i'd ask you to tell me how was your life different before in your mind through the lens of not being lonely compared to how it is now where you do feel lonely and i'll tell you why i say it that way the way you ask the question implies you want your life back the way it was before and the way it was before was okay loneliness was not a factor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now it is a lot of people are experiencing exactly what you just described. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason why they're experiencing that is because they're having to learn a new skill. This goes back to the idea, can you train people? Okay, and this is probably in some ways more applicable to people that are not real facile with technology, yeah. mobile, mobile platforms, iPads, et cetera. So, you know, the typical individual prior to the pandemic that was not feeling lonely, had plenty of relationships, engaged easily, you know, met for coffee club or book club or went to see the neighbor. In comes the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We're social distancing, so we're six feet apart. Uh, We're masking, so we can't actually see faces. We don't see, you know, expressions. And we're supposed to stay home and stay away from other people. Now, the interesting thing about it is we do crave relationships and there's something about being in person that's critically important, but you can have a conversation, a relationship, a connection 
online, just like you and I are doing right now. I see your face, you see mine, we're smiling, we're talking, we're losing track of time. So, so (laughs) yeah, if if you came to me, what I would probably eventually point out is, Hey, listen, you did a great job of connecting with people beforehand. Mm. So how do you do the same thing now? Oh, gee, you don't know what Zoom is. Oh, gee, you, you hate getting dressed up because uh, you're only online. Like, I tend to put work clothes on now every day just because yeah. I know people are going to see me in my work yeah. clothes. It doesn't mean I don't crave being with people in person. You know, I love hugging people and saying yeah. hello and shaking hands and so forth. We'll get back to that later. But in terms of loneliness, you can still have connections that are deep with mm. technology. Imagine if we didn't have technology. I know I've taken you over, but this last question is because it's been such a difficult year for so many hundreds of thousands of people who've actually lost loved ones to COVID on top of the normal mortality rate that we might have in a year. Is any of what you've suggested today different for a person who has lost a loved one and they, they are physically not in their lives anymore? Do you give different advice for people who have actually lost a loved one? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So, so remember that for somebody who's lost a loved one, um, losing a loved one during this period of time is in some ways a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. In some cases, you, you can't go to the memorial service. You, you can't even gather for a funeral. Uh, so there's a lot of little subtleties about losing somebody right now that's very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. It also feels unfair. If you lose somebody to COVID, it almost feels like, well, that shouldn't have happened because there shouldn't be a pandemic and nobody should die from a little simple virus. So there's something, and, and it's happening to That's so true. few people truly that you feel like, well, why me? Because there are other people out there that are older or other people out there wide. Why? So it can feel very unfair. Mm-hmm. Losing somebody is very difficult. And when we lose somebody, one of the ways that we start that recovery is by celebrating their life and connecting with other people that are also missing that person. Mm. And that process, that grieving process is really impacted by COVID right now. Yeah. 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 It, it, it has felt to me like even I know people that have attempted to have Zoom funerals and, you know, and to your point, they, they've all said this even kind of added insult to injury as nice as it was. It reminded me that I can't even be with the people I want to grieve with. So I guess more than anything, I just want to recognize that, that deep, deep grief that's in so many people and maybe some of those listening today and just say, you know, that, that also seems to be a completely natural response to what has occurred. You know, here's, here's one thing I would tell all of our listeners to really think about. If you were lonely before the pandemic Mm -hmm. and now you're just more lonely, you probably need to get some help. Mm -hmm. If you weren't lonely before the pandemic, but now you are, hey, listen, you're probably in great shape. First of all, stress is normal during the pandemic. And you just need to kind of think about how do I get back to where I was knowing that there are some differences right now. So if you were doing fine before the pandemic, but having loneliness now, chances are you're going to adapt, you're going to thrive, but you need to take a little risk and you need to put yourself out there and connect with people. 
That's a beautiful ending, Dr. Polo. And if you're listening to Beyond Well and you enjoy the program as much as some of you have said, please give us a review on whatever platform you're listening. You can also always email me at sheila.hamilton at beyondwell.com.